Thank you, Brother Schwartz. What a tremendous song and well done. Open your Bibles again to Genesis chapter 41. Uh, the story that is uh, mentioned here in these verses actually takes up a good portion of the scripture. It is a long and developing story, uh, but I want to take a truth from this story, and I'll give as much as I can uh, in the time this morning, but the subject or the purpose of the message is when crisis comes more than one at a time. You ever feel like that? You have a crisis to deal with, but when you're not dealing with that crisis, you have another one to deal with. And when you're not dealing with those two, you have yet just one more crisis to deal with, more than one at a time. Uh, well, here's a man that dealt with a crisis, and he dealt with them very well. And there's some things that I think we can learn. It'll be a great, great help to us uh, this morning uh, when crises come more than one at a time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray and my heart's desire always is to be spirit-filled and to be led uh, by your spirit. I, I have studied and I have prepared, but I don't want to be led by my study. I want to be led by the spirit of God. And Lord, there is much to give in the message this morning and the story is long and, and there's much information about it. Help me, Lord, to give enough information that we'll understand it and then, Lord, we'll take the truth of what a crisis can do in our life and how we deal with more than one crisis at a time. Help me, I pray, to be a help to the people. That's my heart's desire. I want folks to go away this morning saying the Bible helped me this morning and I'm glad I was in church. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Joseph has come to a time of leadership at a time of great crisis. Now the crisis is not only national, but the crisis becomes worldwide. Notice, if, uh, if you will, uh, with me, verse number 53, in the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended. Now verse 54, and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph hath said. He had interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, if you know the story, and he told them uh, that there would be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Well, the seven years of famine have come. And the dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. Now verse 55, and when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, notice this statement, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you do. Now imagine the responsibility that Joseph has. The leaders of nations are coming to Joseph. The leaders of the nation of Israel, I'm sorry, of Egypt is coming to Joseph and they say, we don't have any more food. We don't have any more corn. We don't have any more in savings. Joseph, we need your help. Well, you'll find that Joseph had devised a plan to save enough during the seven years of plenty, which is what we're supposed to do, to cover them for the seven years of famine. And the instruction was this, if you don't have any bread, uh, you go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you to do. 
Now, Joseph is facing a national, a worldwide crisis, and he's not just a part of it. He is in charge of that. But I want you to look behind the scenes just a little bit, and I want you to recognize not only is Joseph facing a national and a worldwide crisis, Joseph has got a lot of, uh, of family and personal situations going on in his own life. Uh, Joseph's brothers never supported him. Uh, they never did. They were always critical of Joseph. Uh, Joseph's mother died uh, while he was young. His family was in a constant state of upheaval. His family expressed jealousy, hatred, and infighting. He was betrayed. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was falsely accused in Egypt. He had been imprisoned. The butler who promised to help him and could help him with Pharaoh forgot all about Joseph for two years. What, what a tragic story that individual story is. He then is promoted to a position of prominence, a position of power and yet a tremendous responsibility. And he finds himself occupied with preparing an entire nation to deal with a famine that's going to last seven years. It's going to be eight years before there is another crop of food. And in every crisis Joseph faces, he displays exceptional wisdom and faith in God. Now we want to learn from that today. The Bible tells us that God has preserved his inspired word for an example, for an ensample. So God put this story of all the events that have taken place, he put this story in the Bible for you and I to learn from. So Joseph is dealing with personal crisis, family crisis, uh, national crisis in the land of Canaan. He's in the land of Egypt because he has been sold as a slave uh, by his brothers. And now he comes to a place of prominence and a place of power. And the Pharaoh says, if you have a problem with food, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh said, Joseph is in charge. Now, if you study the Bible and you read the next few chapters and you get a little confused, what happens is uh, the Bible tells the story through chapter 41 and then it gives a detailed and it's sort of parenthetical going back and giving detailed explanation of what happened in those years in chapter 42 all the way through chapter 47. And what happened was as the people began to do or to go without, they would come to Joseph and Joseph step by step, he not only took over the country and he led the world, uh, Joseph, uh, uh, he had personal responsibility to deal with at the same time. Now, now, let me go ahead and get this part out of the way. Many folks are critical of what Joseph did because he took over the world. And I, I can explain what happens. Joseph is a type of Christ in the Bible. Every person in the Bible we find, uh, most of the time we find uh, their sin or their failure. Nothing negative, no sin, not even an attitude is recorded about Joseph. Now we know Joseph was a sinner because Joseph died, we understand that. But Joseph is a type of Christ. 
it is not an example of a government, even though some think that it would be a good idea. Uh, it'd be a good idea for the government to take over if Jesus was in control, but not with the crowd we have now. And all God's children said amen and hallelujah and all of that. And, uh, but, but it is not an example of a government. It is an example in what he's saying, let Christ control your life. So if you go through the chapters, you'll find, first of all, that Joseph took over their purses or he took over their money. He took over their possessions, and in fact, and I'll not take the time to read it, but in chapter 47, if you look at verses 13 and 14, he takes over their purses. Chapters 15 through 17, he takes over their possessions. Chapter, uh, verses 18 through 20, he takes over their property. Uh, verses 19 and 21, he takes over possession of the actual people. And then verse 21, their possessions and then production, verses 23 and, uh, through verse 26. You say, that sounds like communism. It would be communism if you had a Hitler in charge, but here you don't have a Hitler in charge. You have an example of Christ in charge. And again, I want to say, this is not an example for a government, but it is saying, don't miss it, time of crisis reminds us how we should live all the time with full dependency and faith in Christ. Amen. Now make sure that you understand that this morning. Make sure that you understand what the Bible is teaching about Joseph being a type of Christ. Now, I want to say four things about dealing with a crisis, especially when a crisis comes more than one at a time. Many folks here this morning that I'm praying for, I know they're dealing not only with a sickness in their life, they're dealing uh, with a business issue and they're dealing with some personal issues, they're dealing with some relationship issues and you have all of these crises, you're not the first one. In fact, the first thing I want to say, crises are no respecter of persons. They come to everyone. I know young people, I know teenagers that they're going through a crisis in their life. Uh, I know of folks, uh, young people that ride our buses to Sunday school. Uh, their life is a crisis. They, they don't have a normal, common, ordinary home. Uh, they don't have uh, both a mom and dad. They don't have a supper time. Uh, they don't have a meal time. They don't have a structure in their life. And they're living in somewhat of a crisis. And may I say this morning, don't you let the devil isolate you and make you a victim and make you think, well, woe is me. There's no help for me, friend. I don't care who you are or what side of the tracks you're from. There is help for you and Christ is the answer. But first of all, I want to say crises are no respecter of persons. When the famine came to Egypt, it came to everyone. It came to the poor, it came to the rich, it came to the royalty. And it doesn't matter this morning who you are, how much money you have or don't have. All of us face times of crisis. Job said, man that is born of woman is full of day, uh, 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 days are full of trouble. The Bible says as the sparks fly upward, Job talked about us having difficulty. Jesus said to his own disciples, in this world ye will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You haven't, but I have. You don't have faith in yourself, have faith in me. I'm the one that's overcome 
the world. So crisis is no respecter of persons. One of the things the devil wants us to do is cause us to be jealous of others thinking they never have a problem. Uh, maybe they don't have a problem you know about, but I'll guarantee you, you're sitting close to someone that has been in or in a time of crisis in their life. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man, the wealthiest man, here's what he said in Ecclesiastes 2.17, Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Solomon said, I don't see a reason to live. Same chapter, chapter 2, verse 22, he said, For what hath man of all his labor, and of the vexation of his heart, wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrow and travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This also is vanity. Solomon said, There's so many crises and problems, I don't see any reason to live but I'm glad he didn't stop writing there because he did come to a wonderful and a good conclusion that all of us should come to, and it shouldn't take a crisis to get there when he comes to chapter 12. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and see it. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Let me have you to look at that this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, right past the middle of your Bible. Uh, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes 12, and you read Solomon, uh, the wisest man to ever live in Ecclesiastes. He had the money to go everywhere he wanted to go, to buy everything he wanted to buy, to experience everything he wanted to experience, to meet everybody he wanted to meet. And he said, I, here's what I found. I found everything is empty. Uh, they have different packages, beautiful packages, but it's all empty. It's all vanity. Well, you say, Solomon, there's no reason to live. Oh, no. He says in chapter 12 and verse number 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment uh, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And Solomon concluded the only real joy in life is when I'm in the center of the will of God and doing God. God's will. So crisis comes to everyone. Let me move on. Second of all, crisis calls us, don't miss it, to rethink our purpose. Now once you get this picture in the land of Egypt, all the people have run out of their own savings. There is a dearth in the land. There is no rain. There's no water. There's no crops. The cattle have died. Uh, they're they're uh, uh, animals that are used as uh, implements and is used as tractors. All of those have died. There's a famine in the land. Folks are coming from other parts of the country. There is nothing to live for. We're not trying to raise a crop bigger than last year. There is no crop. We're not trying to raise more cattle and calves this year than we did last year. There are no calves. There are no cattle. We're not trying to make more money than we made last year because there is no job to work to make money. You understand where they lived. And the Bible tells us that when they came to that place and they said, Pharaoh, what do we do? Pharaoh said, go ask Joseph. I want you to hear me well. I don't care what your problem is today. I'll tell you where you can go find help. You'll find help in Christ. He'll hear you. He'll hear your burden. He'll hear your hurt. And I want you to understand this morning that a crisis when all the things that we live for is taken away and we think there's no purpose in life, it is then that we find our real purpose. I didn't make me. 
God made me. And God didn't make me to live for self. God made me to live for Him. Somehow I get so sidetracked, I forget who made me. Somehow I get so sidetracked, I forget why He made me. Colossians, the Bible says in chapter 1, that everything that's made, that God made, and He not only made it, but He made it for His will. He made it for His pleasure. But I get so sidetracked in so many things, and then all of a sudden there's a crisis in this part of my life, and this part of my life, and this part of my life, and all of a sudden I start thinking, well, why am I here? I don't have this anymore. I don't have, the only thing I have is God. And God says, you're exactly right. You rethink your purpose. Sometimes we lose focus in life. And I want to tell you something, everything we have this morning, God gave it to us. And God's worthy of our praise. God's worthy of our worship. We get to the place we're so busy in all of these things. We're so busy we don't praise God. You have failed in your purpose. And I'm going to say this morning, I'm glad that you're here. And I mean this with all of my heart. Just you going to church on Sunday morning and saying, God, I want to give you that time. I want to give you my heart and my life. And I want you to know I'm thankful for what you do for me. And I'm thankful for what you mean to me. Sometimes it takes a crisis and losing all these things to realize how valuable our purpose of our relationship with God is. How did Joseph deal with the crisis? He pointed folks to God. God was a provider. Are you with me this morning? I want to say number three. Crisis caused us to reevaluate our priorities. First of all, they're no respect of person. Second of all, they cause us to rethink our purposes. Third of all, they cause us to reevaluate our priorities. When the crisis came to Egypt, things like money meant nothing. There was nothing to buy. Things like possessions meant nothing because you can't eat possessions. Things like land and power and position, it meant nothing because that would not feed you. That would not sustain you. What good is money when there's no food? What good are lands and power when you're starving and when you're thirsty? These people wanted to survive and they knew their possessions had no value. Now hear me well, I want to preach at you a few minutes. People put their jobs ahead of their families and make a tragic mistake. People who put their jobs ahead of their families make a tragic mistake. Our first priority in life ought to be our commitment to Christ and our second priority, priority of life ought to be a commitment to our spouse and then to our family. And dear friend, when things get in the way of our family, I want to tell you something. When a time of crisis comes, it is not money that makes a difference. It is that personal relationship of our church family, of our immediate family. That's what makes a difference. People who put recreation ahead of their marriage make a tragic mistake. Sunday's not the day for recreation. Sunday's God's day. You want to see how serious God takes his day when the nation of Israel 
that we're told to remember the Sabbath day and keep the Sabbath day holy. And when they decided, I'm going to work so I can earn more on the Sabbath day, and they stole the Sabbath day from God, God took them from their land, and he made them prisoners in another land, and he took all of his Sabbath days in a row. It took them 70 years to pay what God had been, uh, what they had tried to steal from God. Hear me well, dear friend. Uh, crisis causes us to put our priorities in the right place. I asked this morning, where are our priorities of life? When we put our plans ahead of God's plans for our lives, we make a tragic mistake. People who live their lives to gratify the flesh and have no regard for their spiritual need make a tragic mistake. A crisis has the power to cause us to rethink the things that are most important in life. When a crisis comes, we're reminded how valuable our friendships are. When crisis comes, we're reminded how important family is. When a crisis comes, we're reminded how important the church family is. We're reminded of how important our relationship with God is. And I say this morning, if all's going well in your life, why wait for a crisis to put him first? The Bible says in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. Some folks have the idea God wants to keep us from enjoying the things in life. God said, I want you to enjoy them. That's why I gave those to you. I just want you to understand priority number one is God. And then all these things shall be given and shall be provided. And then we have the opportunity to enjoy those things. Oh, but how we need to put Christ first in our life. Why wait for a crisis? Now, last of all and most important, crisis calls us to reestablish our principles. The thing that caused Joseph to be successful through the many crises of life, personal, family, nation, world, leadership, was that he lived life by principle. So often we live life by our emotion. So often laws are written as a response to a behavior. I, I heard the other day uh, after a shooting in what is referred to as a gay bar in, I believe it was Colorado, I heard one of the people here on a local radio station that sponsors drag queen shows and all of that, and he said, where is the outrage? When are people going to cry out about this? And I'm thinking, not only do I agree with you, they ought to cry out long before it gets to this place. And that's what I'm doing this morning, saying, folks, let's live life by principle, not by an emotional response. Joseph lived life by principle during the crisis and the crisis that will take you through the good times. That, uh, the principle that will take you through the crisis that uh, will take you, through, uh, uh, take you through the difficulties of life. It's important that we live life by principle of the word of God. Amen. All of the land in Egypt came under the authority of the throne. And this is interesting, if you read verse 42 of, of chapter 47, uh, it's interesting. All of the land and everything went under the authority of Joseph except what the priest had. You know what Joseph said during time of crisis? The priest is essential. 
not the liquor stores, but the priest. Not the box stores, but the church. Somebody help me preach this morning. He knew what was essential and what was essential. He didn't say we're going to close everything down uh, except this. He said that we're going to close everything down but the priest and the church and those that are teaching the word of God, they're essential in a time of crisis. He lived by principle. He was unwilling to take over the sacred things because they were more important than the immediate crisis. And when you and I are thrown into a crisis, uh, we learn what is truly sacred to us and we need to live life by principle. And the first principle of life is putting Christ first in our life. By the way, your day and week will go better if at first thing in the morning you'll spend some time in this book right here. Understand it or not, if you'll read the Word of God. You see, here's what folks do. They read the Bible and they don't understand it when they read it. But the Bible is not for understanding in reading. The Bible is for understanding in doing and, and, and you understand the Bible when you live the Bible. So you go ahead and read the Bible in the morning. And I'm, I promise you this will happen. As you go through the day, as you go through the week, you'll say, boy, that's interesting. I just read something like that in the Bible. That's how the Bible works. It's not for us to have a better education. It's for us to have a better life to live. Begin your day with God. Begin your day in the Word of God. Take your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 7 in closing. A man asked his family on the way home from church, what was your favorite part of the sermon today? And the little boy said that part that starts with in closing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Now, listen to me. This is simple. It's understood, but I want to make the statement. You build your house when it's not raining. You don't have days of construction while it's raining. Raining keeps you from construction. This fellow built his house while the sun was shining while the skies were dry. But I want you to notice what the Bible said. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. When was it built? While the sun was shining. While the sun was shining, he built his house for when the storm would come because he knew the storm was coming. The storm didn't weaken the house. The storm revealed the strength of the house. We live in a day where we want to blame the storm for everything that goes wrong. The storm is not what goes wrong. It's folks that don't build their lives on the rock and they build their lives on the sand. That's the mistake. The mistake is not the storm. The, the mistake is building your house on the sand. Are you with me this morning? This man built his house upon a rock and when, the, and when the storm came, it was founded, it was upon a rock and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Why did Joseph thrive in the time of crisis? Because he saw every moment of life as God working in his life. And he said, I don't see it. I don't always understand it. 
but I'm going to do what God said to do. Now, don't wait for the storm to come to say, next time I'm going to build my house on a rock. While the sun is shining, build your house on a rock. When things are going well, be grounded in the word of God. When things are going well, to be faithful in your tithes and offerings. When things are going well, because the storm is coming. The crisis is going to come. And it won't just come in one manner. Crisis will come more than one at a time. But a life that's built on Bible principle is a house that will stand. Stand with me this morning. I'm finished preaching. Someone said the hardest part of the Christian life is living it. I can understand it, I can explain it, but the hardest part is living it. We want to live the Christian life. Crisis, crisis. What to do in a crisis? You live life the principle. You reevaluate your priority. You check to see what your purpose in life is. And you live life by principle. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare for our invitation, I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that would say, Preacher, I've never received Christ as my Savior. I need to trust Christ. I need to receive Christ as my Savior. Would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you this morning. I won't embarrass you. I won't call your name. I just want to pray for you. You say, preacher, I've never received Christ. I know I need to. Perhaps God's been dealing with your heart about it. Now this morning, you may find yourself not only in a crisis, but more than one. If God can deliver not only a nation but a world through a time of a seven-year crisis, God can direct us through the next few months of the crisis in our life. Heavenly Father, help us not to be hearers only, but help us to be, help us to be doers, putting you first and foremost and obedient to your principles in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.